I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. So welcome to another episode of Nine Cents. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. And if you're tuning in for the first time, Nine Cents is my personal passion, sort of a satanic perspective of our modern world. Every week I come at you bringing you uh, some bits of news, entertainment highlights, and a little tidbit, a note, a uh, flight of fancy about the Church of Satan. Um, and this week, I am bringing it no less than usual. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm going to be talking about Anton LaVey's essay, The Third Side, An Uncomfortable Alternative. It was published in Satan Speaks. In The Infernal Informant, I'm going to be talking about the Israeli murder. Uh, and Gilbert Godfrey. you got to love comedians. In Creature Feature, I'm going to be, uh, touting my own children's book recently released, How Crow Got His Scare Back. And in Bizarre of the Bizarre, I'm going to be talking about the pinch and roll. Sort of a, a tribute, if you will. And all of you guys out there know what I mean, and for all you ladies, I'm going to let you know what I mean. So, I actually had a really good week this week. Despite having some itchy throats and the coughing fits and Still trying to get used to the shitty-ass bed we recently purchased. Um, I had some uh, nice moments with friends. We had some people come over, and we did our uh, first barbecue of the season. And let me tell you something. If you've never had my ribs, uh, you're missing out. There's something to be said about uh, good company, good drink, and some smoking-ass barbecue ribs that I've made. It was really fucking good. I mean, I was actually feeling it the day later. It took me a little while to adjust. But I'm here, and I'm ready to deliver a great show for you. Without further ado, let's move on into the Devil's Advocate. Thanks for sitting through that. Let me turn down my volume here for a minute. The Third Side, published in Satan Speaks by Anton Zander LeVay, uh, one of the last books Anton LeVay had published. It is a series of essays that he wrote um, during his time as the high priest of Satan, Church of Satan. And, um, you know, this was actually echoed in one of our um, satanic listeners' personal blogs, sort of um, an alternative 
to him speak an alternative to the two sides of every coin argument. So what do we mean by this? And, and certainly what did Anton LaVey mean when, when he wrote this? Most people would, and certainly established realists, would have you believe that there's two sides to every argument, a point and a counterpoint. And I'm going to give you a couple examples here in a minute. But as Satanists, uh, it, it's pretty evident that there is, in fact, at least a third side. So you have your 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 accepted view, your counterculture view, and then you have your satanic view, which may parallel at points one of the other views or both. It's a reality, but brings its own special uh, avenue, we'll say, to it. So, for example, let's talk about abortion. On one hand, you have your pro-life advocates. Now, these are genuinely um, well-meaning, I think, at heart. Uh, these are the people that are going to tell you that um, even a fetus is a human being. And no matter what happens, you should never end the life of something that's helpless. Ironically, these are the same people who, once born, want nothing to do with this so far. I mean, sorry, so-called uh, special living being. Uh, certainly, if the mother wants to have an abortion and they force her not to, well then, by all rights, because they were the decision makers, they should take care of said child. And yet they don't. They want to stop all welfare, stop all social programs that may benefit the mothers of these children. You know, I may be going a little bit too in-depth on that one point of view of the hypocrisy that lies within it. But um, the point stands. Pro-life advocates believe that every being should have a chance at living. Damn the consequences. Then there's pro-choice. And it's funny because pro-choice literally means the woman should have a voice in the results of her own body. So, if she knows that she cannot afford to take care of this child, or she knows that the environment in which this child will be subjected would be of utmost devastation, or she had, maybe she was raped, and this isn't even a child of her decision, which most cases, um, if you're going to have an abortion, it is. Well, that's where pro-life comes into play, saying that it shouldn't be an easy yes or no. There should be counseling, there should be deep thought, and if the mother decides to give up the baby, then she should have the right to do it. But I think that there's our third side in this case, and certainly in, in the framework of this um, uh, essay that Anton LaVey wrote, 
there is in fact a third side, a, a much more satanic side. Now, before I get into the details of this, I, I do feel it's important to mention that though I am a Satanist, I am a member of the Church of Satan, I do not speak for the Church of Satan. And at risk of giving away the total contents of the essay, I'm going to refrain from reading it verbatim. I'm going to sort of give you my take on it so that you know you might actually find some fresh wit and most certainly you will with Anton LaVey's written word. Um, so my take on the third satanic side is that it shouldn't be just the mother's decision. Certainly shouldn't be some senator's decision who is only making the law to ensure he can get reelected in a more religious right conservative state. It has absolutely nothing to do with anyone but those two individuals involved in the conception of the child. Now, I should say that there are some exemptions. In the form of rape, obviously the man has no voice. In the form of incest, whoever that male figure is has no voice. And it should certainly be the woman's pure and simple sole decision on what she truly believes is the best decision that should be respected. But not all girls or women who become pregnant are of rational mind, and certainly they're not of sound mind to make the decision themselves. So let's say that there is a relationship involved and there's a man involved he should have a voice as well and though ultimately it is truly up to the girl in this situation and the I should say um, opportunities available to her in the society she lives or environment she's living uh, at least the opinion of the male in the situation should be heard, if not respected. And this speaks to a larger societal role. Now, there's a lot of groups out there giving out birth control, which I think is a fantastic thing. There's a lot of groups out there providing sexual counseling, which I think is a fantastic thing. And these are all steps and elements to not only inform young adults and adults alike about having children and pregnancy and the responsibilities included, but they help to curb that pro-life, pro-choice sort of um, coin that's offered to society. And that's really the satanic point. The satanic view of this is that you know there is a pro-life and there's a pro-choice and then there's sort of a third education side and certainly at times you're going to run into women who perhaps are controlled by addiction or disease and perhaps shouldn't be given a voice when it comes to another human being. If they are incapable 
of taking care of themselves, should they have the right to decide the life or death of another potential human being? I'm going to leave that to you. But it is certainly something that's worth talking about. And it's certainly something to acknowledge that it does not fit in with the accepted ideals of pro-choice or pro-life. But it is a much more realistic approach, much more satanic view. So that's all for the Devil's Advocate. Let's move over into Infernal Informant, and uh, let's talk about Israel. i got a lot to say about that. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. All right, the Infernal Informant. Let me turn down my volume here. Uh, this is an article that I found this week uh, on the Guardian website. Headline, Israelis and Palestinians in shock after Fogel family massacre. Subhead, fam, a murder of five members of the Fogel family in Jewish settlement of Itamar has led to anger on both sides of divide. Now, when they say both sides of divide, they're talking about the Palestinians and the Israelis. Uh, and, and there's a couple things that I want to bring up. Maybe a really brief, simplified history that I think will educate this story. Uh, so, Israelis, <clears throat> Israel proper, was created by the United Nations after World War II as a result, as a reaction to the Holocaust and to what Hitler did. And no one argues that, that was a horrendous thing. There are some wackos that don't believe it actually happened, but as history judges, uh, no one argues that it happened, and no one argues that it was a horrible, horrible thing. Um, the argument comes in, into play when you realize that the Israelis were placed into proper Israel, as we know it today, and that action displaced very, very many Palestinians who had lived on that land. So they were literally uprooted by the World Organization, uh, moved out of their homes, banished, so that these other refugees could come in. And what we have is an argument between who has a right to that land. And it stems back from the days of yore, if you will, um, Old Testament times. These two ethnic and religious groups have been warring over this land as long as there's been people to inhabit it. Through all human history, they both claim that their own God granted them this land. And that is where the core of the argument lies. So, what's happened is that reactionarily, the Israelis have committed atrocities on Palestinians who were fighting to have their homes back. Uh, these Israelis have started illegal settlements. <laughs> settlements. So, <clears throat> what that means is the world government agreed that this space here is for Israelis and that space there is for Palestinians. And the land in between 
is supposed to be just land, sort of a border, if you will. The Israelis, deciding that, damn the world, we have the backing of America, we will make settlements in these territories. And they have, for a long time. And these illegal settlements are the core, the crux, sort of the thorn in the side of any chance at a peaceful Palestinian-Israeli union. Now everyone knows that a two-state solution, splitting up the land legally, so to speak, is the only way to have peace in this part of the world. But these two groups feel so strongly, historically speaking and religiously speaking, that they don't feel they should budge at all. And all the while, all the rest of the world is sort of choosing a side and battling it out. So let's move on to this specific article, which I have to say was written with a decidedly Israeli favorite viewpoint and made a few, uh, let's say, narrative decisions that there is absolutely no way they would know unless they had an inside knowledge. Um, it's a little fiction with your news, but there's nothing new about that. So let me say here, and I quote, The terrorists entered the house, locked the door behind them, and began butchering the family. No one in the community had any idea what was going on. So a group snuck past posted guards into the illegal Israeli settlements, into a family's home, and murdered everyone, almost inside. At about midnight, and I'm quoting, Tamar returned from a youth event on the settlement and unexpectedly found the front door locked. She alerted a neighbor. Together they called to one of the two surviving children to open the door and discovered the scene of carnage inside. Two-year-old Yishai was covered in blood, saying, Wake up, Daddy, wake up, according to Goldschmidt. The murder of the Fogel family has devastated Israel and shocked many Palestinians. The Palestinian president, Mahmoud Abbas, described the killings as inhuman and immoral. Tens of thousands attended funerals in Jerusalem on Sunday. The Israeli government had pledged an iron fist will land on the murderers, and that hundreds of new homes will be built in West Bank settlements in response to the killings. So, just so we all understand what he's saying, the Israeli government funds illegal settlements, meaning territory that is meant to be no one's, a sort of peaceful in-between between these two warring factions, these two uh, peoples that claim the land. This space between them. The Israeli government is saying, we know it's illegal, but we're going to build homes anyway because we can. Because we have the backing of America and no one's going to fucking do anything about it. So we're going to build those settlements. And then a reaction to that is a horrendous murder of people. In this case, of a family, save three people. And the response to that murder 
is hundreds of new illegal settlements will be raised. So it quite literally has nothing to do with the murder of this poor family. It has everything to do with them trying to gain political opportunity to have more illegal settlements, settlements and for the world stage to just stand by and watch. I am sympathetic to Israel insofar as that they endured some shit in their history. I get that. You know what? That's, that's terrible. But at what point do you stop? Do you take a step back and do you see that you are perpetuating the same thing on the Palestinians? Not only did you take over their homeland, not only are you breaking international law by having these illegal, illegal settlements, not only are you provoking a negative reaction, but you're using that reaction in order to continue these illegal settlements and keep them going more and more. And all you're doing this entire time is murdering your own people. It's pretty fucking selfish, if you ask me. Now, I've, I have no personal investment in this conflict. Um, as far as the Palestinians and the Israelis go, it doesn't really matter to me what happens to them. It only affects me in that our own American political environment dances around these two bodies of conflict. And the world stage itself dances around these two bodies. So... Is it insane to think that maybe there was not a Palestinian involvement in this murder? Maybe it was one of the many world-influencing governments who just wanted to maybe um, paint someone, Palestinians in this case, as a bad guy. Um, it's not unheard of. It's certainly a reality that we have to see, and it fits perfectly in with the third side argument that I discussed in um, The Devil's Advocate. You know, on one side, you have the Israelis claiming the Palestinians murdered their own for these illegal settlements, and as a reaction, they build more illegal settlements. The Palestinians, decrying they had nothing to do with it, providing as much grief as they can and, and concern for the, the, the remaining loved ones and the Israeli people as they possibly can. And the third side, maybe neither of them had anything to do with anything. Maybe. There's other forces at work. I think, I think it's a, a perfectly acceptable and sane reality to acknowledge. And uh, personally, I think it's uh, probably the, the best reality. And even if they are Palestinians who did it, um, I have a feeling that maybe they were funded or backed by a non-Palestinian backer. You know, a, a non-Palestinian force. Um, you know, I'm not going to dime anyone out. You know, it, it could literally be anyone, but um, I, I got a feeling maybe uh, 
maybe this is just another way for the Israeli people. But, you know, you sacrifice one family, and hey, you can have hundreds of more move in. And that's a pretty shitty thing to say, but it's a possibility. And maybe it's not Israelis doing it. Maybe it's Iran. Maybe they want to force more involvement in the area to take heat off of them. Not that they need that, because all of the focus seems to be on uh, the Middle East right now. But um, certainly, Middle East meaning um, uh, the democratic revolutions that are spreading around, not the um, <clears throat> dictator governments. Um, okay, so, you know, I, I think that's going to be all that I'm going to talk about, the Israeli and Palestinians and this particular art article with the murder. Um, I think that, you know, we just can't say, oh, poor Israeli family, when I think it has a little bit more to do with just that family. Obviously, it has more to do with that family. And the Israeli people have to accept that things like this are going to happen if you're going to live in a place that's illegal to live. In a settlement that you're not allowed to live in. In a warring society. There are consequences to everything. Certainly to this. And I think it's terrible and I think it's tragic that this family had to suffer those consequences. But it was one that they were aware of. Certainly the male in the household knew that it was a possibility that they could be the center of violence due to their deciding, their conscious decision unsettling there. Reap what you sow sometimes, man. And in this case, um, you know, you're not a martyr. You're a statistic. I hope it was worth your family, man. I hope it was worth your kids' lives for you to make a political statement and be on the losing side of it. Let's go ahead and talk about Gilbert Godfrey. This is actually an article from the Vancouver Sun, though it's been all around the internet uh, for the past week since uh, Gilbert Gottfried made some tweets, some comedic tweets uh, about about Japan and their tragedy. At what point as a society did we decide that it doesn't matter anymore if something's funny, it doesn't matter if it's just one person's opinion, personal opinion, we just can't talk about certain things. We just can't say certain things because the masses find it too objectionable. I think it's disgusting. I don't think political correctness has a place in a democratic society. Certainly not a free society. Political correctness is a disease. It stifles expression. And by doing so, kills freedom in every sense of the word. So let's talk about this specific article. Gilbert Gottfried got fired. Celebrities rush to his defense. Should the comedian has lo have lost his job as the Aflac spokes duck? Okay, so as I said before, Gilbert Gottfried made some jokes about Japan. And he does a lot of different things. He does a lot of different um, cartoon voices because he has such a distinct voice. It's such a sort of ridiculous cartoony voice that these, these people go to him specifically for that. And Affleck, I think, specifically went to him not for his comedic stylings.
because everyone knows those. I mean, they're very offensive. It's very abrupt and in your face. Um, they went to him because he had a very distinct voice, and they wanted to capitalize on that for their duck. And I'm sure he made them a lot of money. But the bottom line is, it's Affleck's business, and they can do whatever they want. If they decide they don't like his hairstyle, as long as they're willing to pay him out of his contract, they can fire him all they want. And in this particular case, if they don't like what he said about Japan, they do have a right to fire him. I guess the greater question lies in whether they should have. Who knows? I'm going to give you my take on it, though. But more uh, directly to this article, there's a number of people that have come to his defense. Let's see, um, daytime talk shows The View. For all of you ladies out there who may not have a job and watch this ridiculous show, Whoopi Goldberg and Joy Behar came to his defense, all spouting the comedian's side, even though he has never told a single joke as the Aflac spokesman. Um, let's see, who else? Howard Stern, Joan Rivers, fellow comedians Shane Moss, uh, Rob Delaney. Well, you know, I'm going to take that last one back. Um, Rob Delaney actually gave a cautionary note. You don't have to write a joke on every topic, and you'll be funnier if you don't. Um, that's his opinion. But then let's look at the how these jokes were delivered. On his personal Twitter account, you have a choice whether or not you want to read individual Twitter posts by people. And there's this sort of understanding that there's a personal side to everyone and a public side to everyone. Gilbert Gottfried was no exception to this. He had his public side and a personal side. Anything he does on his Twitter account is absolutely in the realm of personal. No matter how many thousands of followers he has, he's not on the clock with Aflac when he tweets this. And more importantly, anyone who is a member of Aflac receiving their insurance benefits or paying into Aflac's bank account has a choice whether or not to make the association with the company, and they have a choice whether or not that has anything to do with it. Affleck decided it didn't matter. They didn't like someone who has a personal opinion to work for them. It's pretty fucking shitty, to say the least, and it falls into that PC bullshit that I was talking about earlier. But it's their right. They can absolutely do it. So what did he say that was so horrible? I'm actually going to give you a little bit of a really crappy Gilbert Gottfried um, impersonation. <laughs> Don't hate me for this. He's going to squint his eyes. No matter what he does, he's going to squint his eyes. I just split up with my girlfriend. This is really a bad one. <laughs> I split up with my girlfriend. But like the Japanese say, there'll be another floating by any minute now. That was terrible. I really shouldn't have done that. <coughs> it actually hurts trying to do that. Um, okay, so ignore the fact that it's a terrible impersonation of Gilbert Gottfried. Um, and, and just talk about sort of the content of that joke. 
Um, it was pretty fucking funny. And, you know, even if you don't find it funny, it's coming from a comedian. So it should be taken in that light. At no point was he pers- pointing out any individuals. At no point was he sort of shitting on anyone specifically. Uh, he was just trying to make light of uh, a really kind of terrible situation. And isn't that a comedian's job? I mean, when you boil it down, isn't that what he's supposed to do? And isn't that why we allow a profession like comedian to exist in the first place in our society? Because they make light of the things that are uncomfortable for everyone else to talk about. We grant them that authority to decide what's funny and what's not, to deliver it to us in a way of their choosing so that we can be taken out of the mundane existence that we sit in at times. And we rely on them for lifting us up out of some uh, really uh, horrendous moments in, in history. And for Aflac to shut them down, uh, certainly, specifically, Godfrey down uh, for shutting him down for practicing his trade ensures one thing for sure that I will never ever spend a dime with athletics I will never use them as a business anyone that does something like this fires a comedian for telling a joke uh, that's just insane that's just retarded and it's ridiculous <clears throat> they have a right to do it they fucking shouldn't have. And they're going to suffer. People like me. For it. Let's go ahead and move on into Creature Feature. The sky is dark. Moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She is swamp. Water slowing her escape. The creature nears. The damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last is effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. Creature Feature, you gotta love it. Alright, this is it. This is what I'm talking about. How Crow Got a Scare Back. Written and illustrated by me, contributing editor, Jennifer D. Carlston. Um, this is a children's picture book uh, that I have been thinking about doing for a number of years since college, since um, an art assignment that prompted the first um, this image of Scarecrow as a character. Um, and you kind of get the, the point here. Uh, so it's self-published through Lulu. The story is very satanic in form, right, intentionally. So the message behind it is that you find strength within yourself rather than going to external sources. Um, sort of the vulnerability of self and finding your strength through uh, action, through, through encounters. The story begins as Scarecrow is created by Farmer Lucy, Lucifer, to protect her crops, uh, sort of the field, as it were, for, for us Satanists, the world around us. She created this being in order to protect her earthly realm, so to speak. Uh, Scarecrow did his job well, um, as well as he could. 
and he was created specifically for Raven, uh, this crow that came and stole some of Farmer Zeus's harvest every once in a while. Uh, sort of the, the bad guy in the situation. Um, time, weather, take its effect on uh, Scarecrow's appearance, and that builds doubt within himself. Um, Farmer Lucy took such great pride in his appearance and in building him that now that he was so sort of worn um, from the many months of his, his working, he wasn't sure whether or not he could effectively scare off Raven uh, from Farmer Lucy's crops. So when Raven does finally come, Raven sees the um, self-consciousness, the doubt in Scarecrow's eyes and goes up to him and just intimidates the hell out of him. And this leads Scarecrow to believe that he, in fact, Raven, stole his scare. So not only does he have no physical appearance to aid him, he now has no scare. And so he refers to himself as Crow. Um, and without giving away the rest of the story, um, the tales of it, anyway, he speaks to sort of a mentor, a very satanic mentor, um, who tells him that it's always within him. And then he doesn't believe him, and he runs across some other individuals which force him to act as if he had never lost his scare in the first place. And then he realizes that, yes, you know what, he's had it all along. And he confronts Raven the next morning um, and ultimately is the hero and protects Farmer Lucy's crop. So um, it's certainly a tale that I think a lot of children should hear um, and, and should understand about um, empowerment, uh, self-confidence, and pride in oneself. And that it has nothing to do with how you look. It has everything to do with what's inside of you as an individual. Uh, certainly uh, not something that's attributed to external factors, such as uh, religion or, or a god or anything like that. Um, and I hope that, uh, you know, people enjoy it. Um, the art style I, I, I created is geared toward a children's book. Uh, I used watercolors and colored pencils to sort of create this, uh, oh, I don't know, washed out um, landscape uh, to create a, a darkness to the characters that Maybe maybe set a, a tone for, for the tale itself. It's not very big. It's meant to be something that you read to your children uh, before they go to bed, or they read to you when they're learning to read um, before they go to bed. Um, uh, and it's just the first of many children's books that I, I still have in me. So you should check out uh, Adam P. Campbell dot com forward slash crow the website. You can search for it on Facebook, certainly. Just search How Crow Got His Scare Back. Uh, you can find it on lulu.com. You can search by author, me, Adam P. Campbell, or you can uh, search by the name, How Crow Got His Scare Back. Um, you know, check it out. If you like it, fantastic. I've got a lot more stuff coming in the loops for it. I've got wallpapers um, still coming from the art, if you, if you happen to like that. I've got uh, audio clips of the book of the reading I did for it, uh, for those who buy the book. Um, and, uh, you know, 
if you do pick up the book, there's going to be discounts on uh, future projects. Uh, not all of them children-oriented. Um, you know, I, I love my kids, but I still have a very adult side of me. Um, and uh, th there's some uh, very powerful and dark novels I have uh, sexually and, and uh, aggressively um, in me. A series of short stories that I would be writing. So um, that's all for Creature Feature. Um, check out How Crow Got Your Scare Back. Uh, if you like it, buy it. Pick it up. Uh, right now, until Valpurgis not. Uh, 2011, this year, only a month away, uh, you can get it for 15% off. Uh, outside that, it's going to be a standard retail price um, everywhere. Uh, I, I've got the ISBN that should be delivered, well, should have been delivered last Friday, but uh, I'm expecting it early next week, and that's where I'm going to really start pushing it out there. It's available as a printed book. It's available as a PDF that you can download and view on any device that can view PDFs, which is pretty much anything nowadays. And it's also as available as an EPUB file for your iPads, your Kindle. Um, you can transfer it to a Mobi file for your Kindle, uh, for your Nook, or any of your smartphones with those appropriate reader applications installed. Um, so that's all for Creature Feature. Let's talk about the bizarre. The bizarre. I'm going to give you the drop, and then we'll talk about uh, Pinch and Roll. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the bazaar of the bazaar. <laughs> the pinch and roll. I'm sorry. The pinch. I can't even speak. The pinch and roll. A tribute. All right. So for those of you who uh, may not be men or may not have a title given to this particular thing, um, it's the act of scratching your balls. <laughs> when it comes down to it, that's all the pension roll is. Um, what I find is, is worthy of a tribute is that, uh, you know, it, it's so tailored to us guys. I, I just think it's uh, something that, you know, not everyone thinks about, but it's something that has saved many a men um, and many an itch. So let's talk about what the pension roll is, shall we? Um, let's say you have itchy balls. And this can be for a number of reasons. We're just going to say it's an unidentified itch, maybe a, a shift or a discomfort or whatever. you got to scratch your nuts. Now, doing this normally means just reaching down as if you're going to scratch your hand and just scratching. But because your balls are such a, a mass of loose skin, when you scratch against it, the skin moves with it, and therefore the itch isn't actually scratched. So we as men have had to invent the pinch and roll. And the closest comparison I can think of when I'm talking about the pinch and roll is sort of that um, two fingers together, you know, the, the, the tiniest violin playing a song of sorrow for people. That's really what it is. You get your, your pinch, your sack lightly, and you roll it back and forth, and thus scratch the itch that you had on your skin. It's this absurd action that, you know, a lot of people don't really think about. But it's so integral to, uh, you know, anyone living, uh, any guy living with, with balls. That is, I mean, if you're a eunuch and cut them off, then obviously you're not going to have to worry about it. But um, I, I, I fear for other animals that, that cannot do the pinch and roll. It is, <laughs> it is a necessity uh, of living as a man. Uh, so, pinch and roll, we as men salute you. <laughs> um, and admittedly, it is... A, Pretty short, uh, bizarre of the bizarre, but you know I'm right about the time that I'm going to stop anyway. So 
that's it for this week's Nine Cents. Thank you very much for joining me. Uh, if you would like to learn more about uh, the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet any other Satanists or talk with uh, other Satanists, visit satannet.com. It's a social networking site. Uh, you can certainly pick up the uh, book that contains the essay, essay I talked briefly about. It's called Satan Speaks by Anton LaVey. Certainly a great book. Uh, in uh, Creature Feature, I talked about my book, How Crow Got a Scareback. Check it out. It's a fantastic book. And uh, let's see. If you want to hear anything about any other Satanist, uh, there are certainly many an avenue that you can hear. From, including RadioFreeSatan.com. Uh, they have many wonderful shows on it, uh, from music to poetry uh, to movie reviewing. Check it out, RadioFreeSatan.com. And until next week, I'm your Adam Campbell. Hail Satan.